millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. If you're worried about the future, you're not the only one. Right now, there's an overwhelming surge of Americans who are stocking up on emergency food. Should you be one of them? Ask yourself, do you currently have enough food on hand to get you and your family through a prolonged crisis that lasts months? If not, you should strongly consider getting a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one preparedness company, and they've served millions of American families. Right now, save 100 off their best-selling three-month emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks. This kit gives you over 2,000 calories a day, and the food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. But if you act now, you, may not, you, may, you might not secure these kits. Head over to preparewithdnr.com and claim your three-month emergency food kit as this special price. You'll save $100 per kit, but you must act today while supplies last. That's preparewithdnr.com. All right. I am joined with Teresa Tapia and Robert Tapia. Um, I'm really excited about this show because, uh, you know, I've known both of you for a very long time, man. You, I consider you both very good friends. Um, and I, I was privileged to know Johnny Mi Vida Loca Tapia uh, towards the ending of my career. And um, I follow his life very closely. He has an incredible life, uh, played with addiction, um, you know, trouble, running, run-ins with the police. Um, he's had a very turbulent life, and he still managed to become a five, is it five-time world champion, Teresa? Well, he claims five. He was actually a six. <laughs> so isn't that nice that you don't have to, you can pick and choose what you want to claim. <laughs> okay. He still did it. And he's the most beloved athlete. I think that's ever come out of, of uh, Albuquerque. Um, loved by the, by, I mean, his funeral alone was um, what? 7,000 people. Is that correct? It was over and over 2000 people were turned away because they didn't think it was going to be that big. Therefore they didn't have the, um, didn't have the manpower to be able to, you know, seat that many people and take care of that many people. So it was, which that would have, that was the only disappointing thing. Cause you know, Johnny would have been happy. He didn't like anyone being turned away. And there was over 2000 people that they have on record that, that just couldn't get in. And I'll, and I'll say, you know, Johnny Tapia, for those of you, my audience that don't, that do not know him, um, what an inspiration he was to the boxing world and the sports world. He was a, um, you know, 
although he was plagued with addiction and anxiety and depression, uh, his story is nothing short of uh, inspiring. So uh, without further ado, I'm, 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 I'm joined by Teresa Tapia, his widow, and Robert Tapia, who's the matchmaker and coordinator of Team Tapia. And they're getting ready to have some fights in November at the end of the Mountain Gods, Ponce de Leon versus Marco Antonio Barrera. Two old guys going at it again. <laughs> but hey, they're both legends, and uh, I think it's going to be a hell of a fight. But before we get into that and you guys start promoting the show, let's talk more about uh, Johnny's life. Um, I know both of you know him very well, and, the, and his the books he has, Mi Vida Loca. You can show the books right now if you want, Teresa. Um, they're both available on Amazon, correct? Yes, they are. You can get them anywhere, so there's both of them. The Ghost of Johnny Tapia and Mi Vida Loca. And I got to tell people, I have found this man to be so inspiring. And he's a little guy. He was a bantamweight. But that little guy walked into a room. He'd light up the room. He was a presence. Everybody wanted to know him. Uh, he was uh, a little spark plug. He was an amazing human being. So um, where do we even start with this? Teresa, I followed his career my whole entire life. I, I, I you know, he's been an, you know, he's been, he was like the, I guess you could say I was a heavyweight, but he was supernatural in his abil in his abilities. He was an amazing athlete. He was an amazing fighter. Where did this all begin with you? You two are like the biggest, biggest love story in boxing. I mean, it's the craziest romance. It's the know. craziest story of partnership that I've ever heard in, in boxing. Um, you were his strength through drug, drug addiction and, and uh, his turmoil. So you met Johnny when? <laughs> Let's just start from the beginning. I met Johnny in the 90s. And obviously he had been uh, fighting before that, but I didn't know him. I didn't even know who he was when I first met him. But like you pointed out, his life has been full of tragedy. His life started off in Albuquerque, at Wells Park. It was a tough neighborhood. He grew up, you know, his mom was murdered when he was eight years old, which. So hold on. So people understand his mom was killed, murdered in front of him. Was it in front of him or did he hear about this afterwards? I can't remember that part of the story. Okay, so. How it all happened is he was the only child at the time. His mom used to spoil him. And one night she dropped him off at his grandparents' house. And this is an important part of the story because it'll show you how his nature was. So he was just this innocent, fun-loving little boy. And that night he didn't want to stay at his grandparents and he kept crying and saying, you know, I don't want you to go. Johnny, when he would tell a story, his memory was so like on point, she was wearing blue, dark slacks, a white shirt, a blouse. And because he was so distraught, she handed him a sneakers bar and a Dr. Pepper. So fast forward, we'll get to that and why it's significant. But she left that night and didn't come home. Around two o'clock in the morning, he woke up his grandparents and said that he saw this, like a blue or green truck that looked like his mom was being held against her will by some men and she was screaming and he went and woke him up. And basically, he got hit for it, and he told him to go back to bed. Well, three days later, they ran a story in the newspaper because they had found a, a Jane Doe, and she had um, special, unique jewelry that John, that the family recognized, went to the hospital, and it definitely was Virginia. And she actually, it, it was just such a crazy story. The guy that murdered her that we found out later on in life actually snuck into the hospital and hit her over the head as she's laying in the coma. Like this story is just so it's beyond tragic. But she was stabbed like how many times? 22. She was, 20, stabbed. she was stabbed 22 times and raped, correct? 
Yes. And Johnny used to say she was stabbed with an ice pick and, and that's not correct because we have the police reports. It was a brutal, she was brutally stabbed with the screwdriver and it broke off in her. Then he finished her with a pair of scissors. And it was such, I mean, there was parts of her body that were almost completely severed. And that lady still survived and was trying to crawl to a house. She was dumped in some gravel pits in the South Valley. And she did see some light that she was trying to crawl to. The next day, the construction crew that came on site saw her and she was still alive. And she held on for about five more days. And she finally succumbed to her injuries and passed away. But her final injury was this guy sneaking into the hospital and hitting her over the head. Yes. And it was, it's on the police reports that the police, you know, the hospital notified the police. And back in those days, it was the seventies, you know, it wasn't sadly, it was not um, a priority. She was a Hispanic woman. No one cared about, and she was a poor Hispanic woman. So they just didn't get the attention, but it did something to Johnny and ignited this fuel in him and this fire that he just wanted to fight everybody. He was angry from that day forward. And that's all he did was fight after that. And I ran into a friend of his the other day and he was, he knew Johnny since Johnny was a baby. And he was saying they'd remembered at the funeral, he, this guy's 12 and Johnny was eight at the time. He lifted him up to look in the coffin and it, it just like was heartbreaking. It made me like teary eyed, but Johnny's this little boy looking over her coffin and he was touching all of her stab wounds and crying like look what they did to my mama look what they did well he said in the neighborhood there was you know cruel kids and they'd say oh johnny your mom's dead your mom's dead well johnny would attack him so he just started becoming this little scrapper because you didn't talk about his mom so that's how it all started the road to him fighting at eight so fast forward he ended up winning every title you can think of in boxing what, what age did he start boxing well, he tried at first at nine and he got kicked out because he kicked the kid. <laughs> so then he went back again at 12 and he was just very good at it. And so he won every national state title you could think of. Yeah, Golden Gloves, I've, everything you could think of. I've heard many times Johnny say that he found his peace in the ring. He did. That's the place where he found his um, his peace. And because his life was so, so turbulent that he actually found peace fighting. Yes. And how many people can say that, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I kind of identify in the same way. I, I have a, I have a crazy mind, and and, and uh, my my I did my escape was boxing. So I'm pretty sure with Johnny, his was his was exactly the same thing. I mean, you know, the, the thing that's so astonishing about Johnny Johnny is that he, um, you know, a lot of people said you could throw him in the dumpster and he'll he'll climb out smelling like roses, <laughs> you know. Uh- you know, he, you know, that's just Johnny, man. He'll come out, you throw him in a trash can, he, com- he comes out shining. And, um, you know, I've always found inspiration in Johnny. And I've always known he had a very, um, you know, just meeting the guy. When I've met him, the many times I've met him, he's, you can see the turmoil in his soul, the, tor- the tortured soul. And you can see the anxiety. He admits the anxiety, like, He's always happy, go lucky. He always hugs everybody. He's a very loving, caring person, but you could see the tortured soul, right? Yes. And he used to say that. I remember when I met him and, you know, obviously we got married and started our life together. There was times that he would just like take this look and say, you know, you were just too late for me. I wish I would have met you before I was so broken because nothing can fill the void that I face every day of my life. And I never understood it, David. Like I, I used to, I used to look at him and say, why can't we be enough? Why can't the kids be enough? Well, he would say, you know, my life has just been 
such a hard road that you came in way too late. So after he passed, now I understand because now I have that void. So people, it's, it's so weird. It's just weird how, how life happens and how things turn around because now people ask me like, why aren't you happy? Well, because that was my partner and we had a life and we had it mapped out and you know, we chose to be together. We chose to have kids. We chose everything that we, that we're doing in life. So now it's funny because now I'm the tortured soul. And, you know, my grandma used to say she was a native American lady and she used to say, you know, you got to let him go. You know, she, obviously she wasn't alive when he died, but other people that passed before us, she'd always say, let them go so they can rest in peace because if you don't let them go, they're not resting in peace. Well, I'm not going to let him go because if you don't let me rest in the living, I'm not going to let him rest in the <laughs> And I, I know that he, he really, la- you know, Teresa and I, I was witness to this. He really latched on to you. I mean, he, um, you were like his saving grace. He didn't like to go anywhere without you. He had, he had serious separation anxiety. And am I right in saying that? Absolutely. You know, the only time that Johnny was able to, you know, get away from me was when he was doing something wrong <laughs> because he didn't want me to stop him. And then I knew he was doing something wrong because he wouldn't answer his phone. He would disappear for days. And, you know, like I said, my life with him, I was with him 20 years. But hold on. This is the common traits. These are common traits of an addict. And this is what's so, this is what's so dynamic about Johnny is the duality he faced. He had, he had this incredible, he was a world champion. Do you know how dedicated you have to be to be a world champion? A world champion, but he was also a struggling addict. Yes. And the reason I identify with Johnny so much is because I suffered from so many of the same problems. I mean, I'm just nearly sober, but I had the same problems as Johnny. Johnny was a lot more hardcore than I was. He made me look like oh, a schoolboy. I don't know about that. I was around <laughs> you too. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, but I can I can understand what he said that he was broken and that you came in too late. Yes. Um, I can identify with that. I think a lot of fighters are very broken, uh, self-destructive, broken people to begin with. And that's why they choose that profession. And that profession does end up saving them. Um, could you go into some of the stories, Teresa, that, that my audience would find uh, inspirational about how you saved him from his addiction, how you helped him with his addictions? I know you actually locked him into a house and got him clean, correct? Yes. So that was probably, that was the first time I think that I took charge because I had been with Johnny about a year at that time. And we'd went through so many ups and downs as a married couple and with his addiction. I mean, I had lost babies. We, it was just, there was so many things and he was in jail at the time. And I remember, you know, he kept calling me from jail and I was like, I'm done. I, I want a divorce. And I remember at that time, his manager was Paul Chavez. He called me up and said, look, I want to, you know, I want Johnny to come back to boxing. And I didn't even know Johnny is a boxer. So I was, that was foreign to me. And I, and he said, he's being, you know, he's clean in jail and, you know, let's give it a shot. And I said, well, then you deal with them. And I remember Paul saying, oh no, I wouldn't trust him in my house. And I thought, okay, but you want to send him to me, you know? So that was like our conversation. That's how it all started. So Johnny got out of jail and it's funny. Like I said, how many so times did Johnny go to jail? Oh man. Countless, right? <laughs> yes. There was some, you, you know, the funny thing, David is he's the only person that had jail credit because one time he was in there so long, they didn't even know why they had him and he had credit and he used to joke about it and say, I have good credit in jail. <laughs> I have to get out of jail. Cause he did. Cause he didn't even know why he was there. He, did, he was always used to being there. So you <laughs> knew he was getting in trouble when he would leave you oh, yeah. and, and go off and fall into his addictions, right? That'd be, you knew if he was gone for a few days, you knew, you knew what he was up to. 
we'll, we'll think about it. Our, our wedding night, I remember, like, I'm sure nobody matches this wedding night, but I remember getting married. He got into trouble. I found out, that's how I found out he was an addict. I saw a needle in his arm. I remember after the wedding, he called off our reception. He transferred the party to my mom's house. Everybody was drinking. Johnny was fighting. The cops were going to take him away. And my mom begged him and said, come on, it's his wedding night. So we, the Maloofs had this beautiful suite for us and Johnny didn't want to leave the area. So he took me to this dump and he said, I'll be right back. I got to make a phone call. And I remember I walked into this room and I put my bags down and he walked out. He took off in my car and he took off with like, you know, how they give you wedding money and all that. He was gone. And I was waiting for him to come back. I was humiliated. I was, you know, I just felt like all these weird emotions because we just got married and so I remember calling my mom and I said, change of plans. We're at this motel just in case, you know, something happens. Well, the next morning at 7 a.m., there was a knock on the door. I thought it was Johnny. So I, you know, woke, I jumped up, went to grab the door and I thought, I'm going to let him have it. What was my mom? And I'll never forget the look on her face, David. Like she was crying and screaming, like, what's wrong? And she's like, thank God you're okay. Johnny's dead. And I said, Johnny's dead. What do you mean he's dead? And here, I wasn't even married 24 hours and we walk out and she said they called her from the hospital. They found him in my car. He was DOA. They dumped him in front of a fire station and they ended up taking him to UNM hospital. So I remember on the drive there, all these thoughts were going through my head because I just, you know, I expected to, I had to go identify my husband's body. And so we get to the hospital and I'm just like, just still trying to process it. I'm not crying. I'm not, you know, anything. I'm just like freaked out. As I'm thinking about it, all of a sudden, I see this commotion and cops and security and Johnny runs by me and he's like, hi, babe, bye, babe, love you, babe. He's in, <laughs> he's in the hospital gown and I'm looking and you see like his butt cheeks and I'm like, what the hell? So, you know, and he's gone and the police are chasing him and I'm looking at my mom like, if we don't, and I can't even explain what happened. I just know we, we get in the car, we're driving up Lomas. And it's a major street, you know, and I'm, I'm looking and I see him running down the sidewalk. So we yell at him, he jumps in the car, gets in and he's like, you know, and I'm like, what happened? And he never had an explanation, but I remember he got home, ate like there was no tomorrow. Then he ended up um, falling asleep for like three days. Then when he gets up, you know, he goes into the bathroom and says, I'm gonna take a shower. Well, you know, he didn't come out of the shower. I'm knocking on the door and I'm like, you know, scared. Like, did he faint in there? Did he hit his head? Like what happened? Freaking guy had snuck out the window and I didn't see him for a whole month. That was my first month. Of and this marriage. is the, and this is how your life continued. Right. I mean, this is oh, just, yeah. it that was, was like, he was so, yeah, he was so up and down, but the thing was, is that his real lows, he would bounce back up and then go win a world title. Yes. He That's what was so amazing about this guy. Well, in the first year, though, it wasn't about boxing. So he was at the lowest that he's ever been. So he was, he had been in, in the hospital on life support a couple of times in that first year. We didn't think he was going to make it. And Wait so, up. Hold on. Hold on. A couple times the first year he was on life support? Year. Yes. Yes. And, you know, the, the, we didn't think he was going to make it. And I remember that, you know, when he was in jail the last time, this was, you're talking about 1993. The very December of 1993, I remember sitting in our in our house. It was this little tiny house that I was paying for because I was the one working. I was the one with the car. He was out on the streets. Then when he went to jail, he had been there for three months. 
I talked to Paul Chavez. He wanted Johnny to get back in boxing. I let him come home, but I was, I've had it with him, David. Like I remember him saying, I'm going to go visit my grandparents for Christmas. And of course I'm not going to stop him from seeing his family. But I told him, you're not going to get high. Nope. Well, he didn't come home for three days. He came home, he was messed up, but I took it into my own hands for the first time. And that's what set the precedence of our future. Cause I said, I'm, I'm done believing in you. I, you can't do it. I'm going to do it. You know? So I remember he passed out. So, so you took the reins at that point. I did. I did. You, did you believe in him and in, in becoming a world champion? Oh, I mean, I, at, at that point he wasn't a world champion yet. Right. He was undefeated, but he wasn't a world champion. So, so I, he would hit these rock bottoms and then shoot up sky high. Well, not in the first year. Remember, okay. the only thing that I cared about was him surviving and, and being, I didn't know anything about boxing. I, I, w- I didn't know what Johnny was even capable of on that level. All I knew was that I loved this man and I wanted him to get clean. That's all that mattered. So when he got out of the uh, you know jail and he went on his little you know, escapade and I got the key and I hid it in the carpet and he didn't know. And I had a wrought iron all around. Nobody could get in or out. And I wouldn't let anyone in. I locked him in there. And you I locked him. Hold on. You locked him in his house with yes. wrought iron and you hid the key from him. Yes. You made him a prisoner of his own house, basically. Yep. I was the warden. <laughs> Wait, to get, him, to get him clean? You know what? I'd like to say, yeah, that that's why I did it. But I think as a woman, you just hit this level of insanity that you just, you're going to do whatever it takes to just make things the way you want them. And that's what I did. I I took the control and I said, this is going to happen. And I remember David, like first week he was going through withdrawals. He was crying, begging me to get out of the house. Second week he was angry. He broke everything in the house. We would sit there and we'd chase each other around like, because, because he was mad at me. But I noticed the third week, something magical started happening. He started running in place and sit-ups, push-ups. He started changing who he was as a human being he changed. And for those seven months, I was the happiest I've ever been in my whole life. Those were the happiest times of my life. When he was clean. Yep. Because that's the only time it was. And then that's when he, he dove into the dedication of boxing. And I guess from right then, you were the kick, you were the kickstart to him taking his career very seriously and quitting drugs and going off to win. Well, for the time being. Well, for seven months. For seven months his comeback and he was able to win his intercontinental title by the time he went for his world title he was full relapse full drug addict full swing of everything you can think of but he still won his world title so while so while this guy was a world champion he was a drug addict Uh, yes always it never it never stopped so it was always those seven months was the only seven months in our whole 20 years of marriage that he was clean so he wins his first world championship yes. and then, so it's just now, now I've heard he won five. I know he won five world championships, but how many times did he flatline or die or almost die? Um, how many I, times I heard it was almost equal to the world championships, right? Um, honestly, <laughs> seven times. Seven He'd, times that I was with him in 20 years. It was seven. Seven times that this man flatlined or he almost died all the above. Yes. I mean, was literally dead. He's got me beat by five. (laughs) Yeah. He was just like I said, he was, Johnny was a force to be reckoned with, but he was a handful. So, you know, that was my first time. I I locked him in this place. He changed. He came back to boxing. I remember his first boxing fight. 
we it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, under Tommy Morris, Tommy Morris, and I remember um, being there, and I remember looking at David, and I was crying for him, because I didn't want him to get hit, and he was like, this is what I do, I'm good at it, so it's funny how I went from this wife who would cry to see her husband in the ring, because I was like, I'll work three jobs, Johnny, I don't want you, I just wanted him to be clean, I didn't care about boxing, and next thing you know, here I am, catapulted into the sport of all men and I became his manager and of course there's a lot of stories behind why I became his manager again it's Johnny's antics he was thrown out of the state of New Mexico he was gonna end up going to prison or he had to get out so there's just so much to go over so you're gonna have to pick and choose like what stories that you really would like to hear but there's so many well I mean I think you know the Johnny story I don't even think you could make a, a Hollywood movie about it you'd have to make a series because it's so incredible and there's so much to it. His story alone, just you you couldn't make a movie to do it justice. You'd have to have a series like five seasons long, maybe 10 seasons long to, to captivate this guy's existence because it was just that crazy. Um, he would like shoot to the moon and then shoot to the stars and then come down and hit rock bottom. Shoot to the moon, come down, hit rock bottom. Shoot to the stars, come back down, crash into rock bottom. And the only consistent thing he had throughout his whole life was you and boxing. Yes. You know, and um, it's like I said, you know, like I was telling you, there's so many stories. Sometimes he would shoot to the moon and then he would hit rock bottom, but it was simultaneously as well. Like when he fought Danny Romero, that's when the people's in their minds, the one of the most favorite fights. But the funny thing, David, is it was the worst fight for me because he had been arrested. He, I remember, just to give you an example, I left him and my brother Robert up in Big Bear. And I took off to L.A. to go get a dress fitting. And I'm with this Christian lady, and she's this prayer warrior, you know. And I go down to L.A., I come back up. Well, my house is boarded up with plywood. And all the windows, the doors. And I'm looking, and I, I know what it's them, but I can't tell this lady that. So I, I said, well, let me go drive you to the shuttle. She said, but what happened? And she's all curious, and I'm like, um, I forgot they came and sprayed and we're not supposed to stay in the house because it's poisonous because I was always good at making excuses. And so she, you know, I drop her off and I go back and I'm looking around. I'm like, where are they? Where are they? And I couldn't find them. Finally, I hear like, you know, and then I hear Johnny's little whistle and I look up, they're freaking in a tree. They're sitting in a tree, <laughs> and on, you know, in front of my house. And I'm like, and this is the logic I had to use with, with them being addicts, both of them. I'm looking up and I'm like, okay what are you guys doing can't get mad with these people you know and and they're like there's there's people running around and they're the, the cops are after us and we see a bunch of naked men trying to get us and i'm like mm. and this is like i said the logic like i'm watching them and i'm like okay guys i get it so you're you're staking out our place yeah yeah and i'm like you know what's smarter? We have cameras inside. You guys come down. You can sit in front of the cameras. And it was like a light bulb went off. They look at each other. Yeah. So they both climb <laughs> off. I'm like, you got to take the plywood off. So they, I got them to do, take the plywood off the front door. They left it. and But then they put it on the inside. So we're all trapped in there now. Three of us. And I'm the only straight one. And I'm just like, you know, and they're him and my brother are like this in front of the cameras. And just keep in mind, he's getting ready to fight Danny Romero. Danny's young. Everyone's yeah and hold on for people that don't know like my a lot of my my audience may not know johnny johnny tapia and danny romero was probably the to me the biggest rivalry in boxing because they both are in the same weight division and from the same city of albuquerque and both became 
world champions and they fucking hated each other right well not in the beginning okay johnny worked with danny's dad danny senior but what happened was when johnny was exiled because he wasn't he didn't give up boxing he was exiled from boxing the first time around he was you know they nobody wanted he couldn't get into boxing after his four-year layoff when he came back danny was about maybe 16 17 and old he was the new star the new boy in town everybody was on his bandwagon good kid. yeah and he, he was like the good guy the white hat johnny yeah. was the one with the black hat nobody wanted johnny to come back in his in danny's world so here comes johnny this full-blown drug addict police records you name it troubled kid so danny did not want to share the limelight so it started a beef so hold on yeah that's important that's probably more than anything what uh, instigated uh, or ignited Johnny Tapia's real drive to get back in the picture because he was the star of Albuquerque. And then all of a sudden this young, good looking kid comes around same weight division. And he becomes the star as Johnny is uh, falling into drugs and addiction. He watches this Danny Romero kid rise to the occasion and become the new star of Albuquerque. Yes. And people would tell him that everywhere we went. And remember, I didn't know boxing. So I didn't know who Danny was. I didn't, I would, you know, I would look at Johnny like, what are they talking about? And he's all oh, this kid, you know, but I'm going to get back one day, but I never believed it. And until I locked him up in that house and it gave him the drive to come back, I had no clue what I was really doing. I didn't know where our destiny was going to lead. I only knew I just wanted him to be clean because I was afraid he was going to die. That was always my worry with Johnny. He's going to end up dying. So I didn't want, you know, my whole job was I wanted to protect. Him. And so after, like I said, he made us come back. He won his world title. He got into more problems with the law, got kicked out of New Mexico. Oscar De La Hoya opened his doors to us in Big Bear. He's the one that called me up and said, look, bring Johnny out here. You know, there's no problems here. And, and, and I thank Oscar and I will always thank Oscar. And Oscar actually changed Johnny's ring name from, me, from Babyface Assassin to maybe the Loca. That was all Oscar. But um, so you know, going back, well, who, to who won the world championship first? Was it Danny or Johnny? Johnny, which really Johnny won the title first. Yes, which irked Danny. So and then th- that's when the rivalry began. Well, it had already started, and I remember because remember Johnny was with top rank first, and Danny used to be with top rank, and so at that time, top rank gave Johnny the opportunity. But you better remember, at that time, Johnny was like 25, 28 and oh, he still had more fights than Danny and was undefeated. And even though Danny was getting close up in those fights he, and undefeated himself, Johnny still had priority because, you know, that's just how it was. And I remember we had the first world title in Albuquerque at the pit. And I remember Danny, you know, telling top rank, oh, those fans are there because of me. And it started this rivalry. And then if they were going to go on the same plane, Danny would say, I'm not riding on the plane with an addict. So it just, he started putting it out there. And so it turns. Johnny actually was trying to be like a big brother to Danny in the beginning. He was like, there's room for two champions. People would ask him about it. And he'd say, because Danny won his title right after Johnny. And Johnny would say, you know, there's room for both of us. And everybody would say, we're going to fight each other. And But it was Danny who kept talking till it finally you can't talk about somebody like Johnny and not expect a repercussion from that. And that's exactly what happened. So like I said, and, and it was really like, they were both from the opposite sides of the tracks, right? Kind of, kind of thing. They were they both, were they both from the same area of Albuquerque or was one from one side of Albuquerque, the other and the other side. No, same area, but same area. So both from the same city, yes. same area, same yes. weight class. Yes. 
and both odds, right? Yes. Yeah, and so Johnny Tapia became world champion first, then Danny, right? Yes. Yes. And so they're both simultaneously holding world titles. Yes, at the same time. Yeah, obviously. So when Johnny and Danny agreed to fight each other danny was so bitter he left top rank and signed with cedric kushner and johnny stayed with top rank and i remember they had a fight johnny fought jorge barrera which is marco antonio's brother here in albuquerque and danny fought so that was their fight before they fought each other july 18th 1997 that was their first fight on the same card it was one of the biggest paydays both of them had ever seen hbo put it on their main Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets, NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. ...network, which they didn't put little fighters on, and... Everybody was billing it as fight of the year, all these things. But for Johnny, it was real. So I remember April 30th, 1997. If you're worried about the future, you're not the only one. Right now, there's an overwhelming surge of Americans who are stocking up on emergency food. Should you be one of them? Ask yourself. Do you currently have enough food on hand to get you and your family through a prolonged crisis that lasts months? If not, you should strongly consider getting a three-months emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one preparedness company, and they've served millions of American families. Right now, save 100 off their best-selling three-month emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks. This kit gives you over 2,000 calories a day, and the food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. But if you act now, you may not you may you might not secure these kits. Head over to preparewithdnr.com and claim your 3-month emergency food kit as this special price. You'll save $100 per kit, but you must act today while supplies last. That's preparewithdnr.com. Caesar's Palace and they're having the press conference and Danny gave Johnny this look Johnny jumped over the podium literally jumped over it to attack Danny everybody so after that they had separate press conferences separate weigh-ins they had more cops they had metal detectors because Danny was telling everybody I'm going to knock him out third round third row and all of his you know low light low-life gangbangers are going to come after me so that's why they didn't have the fight in albuquerque they had to have it in las vegas there was so much but everybody from albuquerque showed up you know what david if they weren't there you could read about it it was all over the news it was the quiet the quietest night of crime albuquerque has ever seen everybody was indoors watching that fight 
they the world stopped. I mean, all yes. of Southwest stopped. I remember all of Opa, all of the border towns, man. Everybody wanted to see this this unbelievable matchup. This this uh this rivalry, man, that's never been matched today. I've never seen it matched in any sport. Exactly. So, you know, what was funny about it though. So, like I said, you're watching Danny Romero. He's training up in the mountains. He's up. I don't know how high of his altitude is. He has personal nutritionists, all that. Johnny fires Emmanuel Stewart. Johnny doesn't have a trainer. He's getting high there. My house is bordered up with plywood. I'm like, what? okay. So you're trying to keep him clean while he's training for the biggest fight of his life. And he's, he's, and can I ask, like, can you just come clean? Like what drugs was he doing? Cocaine, heroin, wasn't he speedballing it? He used to, but he stopped doing the speedballing after probably his first world title. And then he just stuck on, he was stuck on uh, just cocaine. And, but up there, that particular time he was on meth because there was no coke. Meth? Yeah. So he was training on meth. He wasn't training. That was that's my whole point. Oh, he, was, he wasn't training. And then he went to jail and he did all these things. So it was probably four weeks out. We had no trainer. I, I couldn't get him clean by myself. I finally called up Bruce Trampler and I said, look, we have a problem. Johnny's not training. They flipped. Because you got to remember, Danny left them for a different promoter. So Bruce was like, get him out here. So Bruce makes us go to Las Vegas. Again, there's no altitude or anything there. It's three and a half weeks. He gets Jesse Reed in to hold the meets for the mitts for Johnny. And he has Eddie Fudge who's giving him like corner advice, whatever. Johnny looked like crap. He was sparring. He was getting his butt beat. He, he just didn't look good. Everybody was worried, you know, but Johnny wasn't. And, and Johnny would go on every interview and he's all, he has to kill me to beat me. And if he wins, I will kill myself. That's how sure I am that I'm going to win. But the guy wasn't training. And here all of us were nervous wrecked. But I remember as we walked out and I saw the first couple rounds, there was just like a piece. I knew he had it. And again, like you said, highs and lows. He pulled off this beautiful performance, didn't even struggle. And then the headlines the next day was the easiest fight of my life with Johnny throwing the back foot. What an incredible guy, man. I, I, you know like a shooting star, man, like a shooting star just, you know, makes that impression. And then, and then, um, passes away. What, what, how did he pass away? He passed away in his sleep in 2012. Was it, or, uh, 2012 he died, but how did he die? Exactly. Well, finally, he finally met his maker. So again, Johnny was very close to my brother, Robert, and that was his right-hand man. My brother, Robert passed away in a car accident on the way to visit Johnny one of his many times where he was on life support and because the media kept calling my brother saying that Johnny had passed away and Johnny had it. And my brother wouldn't believe that he thought I was trying to spare him. And we were living in Farmington at the time. So my brother and Johnny's nephew, Benny jumped in a car on the way to see Johnny and they both died in the car accident. Hold on. They went thinking that Johnny was dead or going to die. They thought he was dead because the media was saying, give us a call. So the media was saying Johnny had died. And then your brother Jumps in a car with, Benny, with who? Johnny's nephew. Johnny's nephew, and they die in a car crash on the way. Yes. So I'm sitting in the hospital with Johnny, not knowing if he's going to make it. And I remember he finally wakes up, and it's like, I don't know, like five o'clock in the morning. He comes out of his coma. At this time, my brother's missing. We don't even know he's gone yet. And I'm, you know, and he, and it's so weird, David. He had a spiritual like experience because he looked at me. He says. Rob and you know Rob and Benny were here 
And I said, what? No, they weren't. I've been in the room all night. And this is before you knew they passed. Mm-hmm. And just so you remember, so that was my brother. You probably remember him. I do remember him. Yes. So all I remember is I'm, you know, I'm in this, you know, because I had slept in this room. I never left a site. And I said, no, they weren't. And he said, yeah, he had me so convinced that they were there. He said, they were standing at the foot of my bed. I said, well, what did they say? And he said, they wanted me to go with them, but I told them that you would get mad at me. I said, well, where did they want you to go? And he's like, I don't know. Because remember, Johnny was in a coma, but he saw them. So then it changed the course. I called my sister-in-law, my mom. I said, I know where, because we used to call my brother Robert Gordy. I said, I know where Gordy's at. He came to Albuquerque. They're in Albuquerque. So everyone's looking for him in Albuquerque, everyone, not knowing that they had actually passed away at the time that Johnny saw them was the time that they have of their time of death. Mm. So they passed away in a one car accident. They, it was just a, it was the beginning and the end for me. It was the beginning and for Johnny, it was the beginning and the end for a lot of us because you had to deal with this. And, um, anyways, I ended up going to, um, you know, when, when I found out he had passed and I remember telling Johnny, Johnny couldn't live with the guilt. He, he just, Johnny went through a downward spiral like you wouldn't believe. And he ended up, you know, just doing crazy stuff. He ended up in, they didn't think he was going to make it. He just kept doing just worse things than he's ever done because he couldn't live with the guilt. But so you fast forward now to 2012. He had at that time, Johnny had was just got out of prison in 2010 because he went to prison and he got out in 2010 and I remember, David, he would look at me and he would always tell me, um, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was just on this map, like, I, I got to get everything situated. I got to get this paid off. I got to do, this. like, he was just in a hurry. And I, and I kept saying, what is wrong? And he told me, I had a dream. And my mom told me it's time. I don't have any more lives left. So then he was on this race of time. So my brother passed away on um in March, but his birthday was April 30th. So every year we'd go to the gravesite and visit my brother. That year, Johnny didn't want to go with me in 2012. He said, I'm just, I can't do it. I'm not feeling up to it. So there we were at the gravesite, April 30th. And I remember I went separate from my sister-in-law. She took this picture. You can see my brother's face in the background. It was the most eerie thing. I didn't show it to Johnny till the next day, May 1st. And I just remember it freaked me out. I would Hold on. She took a picture and you saw your brother's face that passed away in the picture. Yes. Okay. So May the 1st, Johnny comes down the stairs and I'm like, Johnny, come here. Cause remember I'd been up all night cause I was on the phone with her. We couldn't believe it. Johnny had been asleep. So the picture, even though she was at the gravesite earlier, it didn't download until later on that night for some reason. So I didn't wake up Johnny and tell him. So the next morning he comes down the stairs and I remember I, I said, look, Johnny, look at this. I said, look at, and he, he got like the chills and I'll never forget it. And he's all, that's who they're sending for me, Robert G. Cause that's what he called my brother. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? That's who they're sending for you. And I said, why are you always so morbid? He like, didn't hear a word I was saying, David, I promise you. He got into, he started going to the gym. He was training people and he was telling everybody his last interviews. I'm going to be, I, I'm going to die soon, but this is what I want. So he kept telling me, I want to be buried. I want to have my memorial service at the pit. I want there to be Spanish music. I want everybody to be invited. I wanted to be a huge party. He said, if you guys need to see me, see me. But Whitney Houston had passed away that same year in March. And he had cried because he knew Bobby Brown. And he said, look at how they have her taking pictures of her in her coffin and all that. He said, don't you ever let them do that to me. And I didn't, David. No one has a picture like that. He said, send me away with dignity. Let them remember me as a champion. I want a closed cap skit, but I want a box. He set his own funeral. 
And it's funny because I was half listening because I was, thought he was being morbid, but he actually was, he felt something. There was nothing wrong with him. And I remember that week that he passed away, he was at the gym, the gym training and stuff. And I remember on a Wednesday, he came home and, um, you know, he just, he was off. Like Johnny was in his normal self. He was very quiet. And he's usually hyper. Friday, I remember Nico, the youngest, our youngest son, had strep throat, and I had him in bed with me, and I remember Johnny was standing in the bathroom, and I remember, like, he's looking over at us, and you know that thing fighters do, because you do it, you put the Q-tips in, and I always think, oh, I can't, I don't know how you guys can handle that, but he was (laughs) doing that thing in the mirror, and then, like, he stops, and he looks at me, and he just gets all teary-eyed, and I'm like, what's wrong, and he starts crying, and he's like, I just love you, and I'm like, I love you too, and he's like, no, like, I'm going to miss you. I'm like, where are you going, Johnny? And he's like, I'm not going to be here. And I love you. And I love my kids. But I know it's time to go, he told me. And I said, oh, Johnny. I said, why? I said, you're going to outlive us all. You're going to be that man that's 105, setting world records, probably still punching a bag. And he said, sounds good, but it's not going to happen. And he's on, I love you, but I can't stay anymore. He said, I'm tired. And I said, what are you talking about? So I just remember like, you know, and then, so he wrote me this note and I still have two letters from him. And I remember Saturday was our other son's birthday. And so he celebrated with him, you know, we sing happy birthday and everything. But I noticed that Johnny was very quiet, but again, nothing was wrong with him. And, you know, he was still eating, you know, all the stuff he ate, drinking his Dr. Peppers, eating his sneaker bars. And I just, which goes back to his mom. That's what she gave him. Because before every fight, he had to have a sneakers bar and a Dr. Pepper to comfort him before he went in the ring, because that was the last thing she gave him. So that was such a big thing to him. He had to have that. That was his own way of comforting himself. So that, like I said, Saturday, it was my son's birthday. Everything was fine. Sunday, you know, this is May the 27th. We all get up, you know, everything is normal. I remember my sister came over and she had brought um animals for the kids because it was my oldest one's birthday the day before and she didn't go so she bought him an iguana and she bought the little one uh, a turtle and so they were all showing their dad you know their animals and, and johnny's like oh yeah we got you know playing with them and everything was funny and i just remember my sister wanted to take him to a movie and she was saying you know let's i want to go take him to watch men in black part three and the kids you know were excited to go and and she said come with us and i didn't want to go and she said, why don't you want to come? I said, I don't, I don't want to go. Something in me just didn't want to leave Johnny. And I remember he had his man cave because he would obviously sleep in my room, but he had his man cave because he was always relapsing and he wouldn't let the kids see him high. So he would stay in his man cave. That was, that's how life was conditioned then, you know. So he was in his man cave and he was watching sports. And I remember, you know, looking at him. And I said, why don't you come with us? You know, let's go to the movie. And he said, I don't want to go. I want to rest, which is not unusual for Johnny. And, you know, on a Sunday, he said, we used to do family time on Sundays. And he said, go ahead and go to the movies. When you come back, we'll do family time. And I just kept staring at him. And he was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, come with us. He's like, I don't want to go. And, you know, we would always, like, play fine. He was like, he threw a pillow at me. And I was like, just come with us. And he's like, just let me go to sleep. I'm tired. And, you know, but we were, like, laughing and joking. And I was like, fine. I was like, whatever. And so I was, I remember, like, backing away towards the door. And I was watching him and he had this long pillow and he would sleep like hugging it kind of. And he like opened one eye and he looked at him and he was like, what do you want? And I'm all, just come with us, Johnny. And he's like, I don't want to go. 
he's all I'll, I'll see you when you get back and I was like well I'll just stay he's all oh my god get out of here I just want to sleep I want quiet me through the pillow and so I was like fine so I closed the door and I remember walking down the stairs and everybody's waiting for me and as I'm walking away David I turn around and I noticed that my my house is the only one that doesn't have a number address and I'm like we don't have a number address and I tell it to my sister and Pam the lady that used to be our nanny and they're like so and so we walk you know we get in the car I'm driving I stop at Lowe's and they're like what are you doing I said we need an address and they said why I said I don't know what if something happens and no one's ever going to know our address because there's no numbers no logic to it David I don't know why I thought that they were yelling at me at the store they're like look it you have to drill them in it's not like you could just put them up and I was like whatever so we ended up going to a movie and I was restless because Johnny would call me every five minutes and my phone wasn't ringing so I kept calling him and he wasn't answering and I remember just sitting there and my sister was like just would you stay still already you're worse than the kids but I kept getting up walking away and I would sit down and walk away and finally I got like a sharp pain in my in my chest and she's like what happened I was like I don't know I said I think like maybe Johnny's heart's hurting I don't know it was weird so finally the movie's over and we rush home and and they're all downstairs and I remember I ran up the stairs and and I knocked on his door and he didn't answer so I ran into our room and he wasn't in there so I like looked all over and I didn't see him and I just remember I was like "Hmm, maybe I'm just feeling what I'm feeling is maybe I'm just feeling that he um maybe he took off to do drugs and maybe that's why I'm having anxiety and so I remember walking away from his door and I was like in the hallway and then I just remember like something told me go back so I remember I went back to his door and I just remember like I opened it and I remember it was dark and I remember I I like tried to turn on the switch but he had it off from the it was a fan and the light and he had it off from the, the fan so I was like he's not on the bed you know what I'm just losing my he's gone he just went to go do drugs that's what's happening so I remember I turned around and I started walking and something did it like I just got like these chills and I just remember thinking go back in there and everybody's downstairs you know and I just remember I walked in there and I was like I finally turned on the hallway light and I looked and he was on the floor and the first thing that got my attention was he didn't have his shoes on now if you knew Johnny he was always ready to fight even in his house he had to have his shoes tied he didn't wear a shirt he wore shorts but his shoes had to be tied at all times because he said I did so much bad shit if somebody comes and tries to like you know retaliate like I got to be ready so he was always ready to fight and that's what got my attention because I looked and he had black shorts on and his, he had his, you know, his socks on. And I was like, okay, he don't have his shoes on. And because it's not unusual, by the way, to find Johnny passed out. I found him passed out in the toilet, in the closet. I mean, so that wasn't what got my attention. Because I remember I went and I kneeled by him and I touched him and he was warm. But I just knew, like, I just knew, like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel him anymore. Like, there was no... It, I don't know, something disconnected. And I was like, I was, so I was looking at him and at first I was like touching his face and stuff. And, and then I just like got all like, I was like, you're not have left me, Johnny. If you left me, I will freaking haunt you. You're not going to haunt me. I will haunt you. I was like, you wanted this, you wanted this life. And, and I'm like, you know, so then I'm trying to shake him and I'm like, just get up, Johnny, just get up, you know? And he doesn't move. So then I'm like, oh my god this isn't happening and I'm like I know what will save him I'm on one because he'll come out of this he always does so then I start screaming downstairs and my sister comes running up you know and and I'm like can you um 
wake him up and i remember she walks in in the in the room and i'll never forget her face she came out and she's like and i'm like shut up don't say it they said if you're gonna tell me what i think you're gonna tell me get out of my house and so I, but again you know being a mom i'm thinking about my kids so i called pam or annie i said get the kids out of here she's like what happens just get them out of here so she takes the kids and and eva and me are arguing my sister and me and i'm like just wake them up just wake them up and she's like teresa i'm like just wake them up so she throws me the phone she's i'll call 911 so i call 911 well you know what goes in my head we don't have an address so i'm running out in the street and i'm like you're not going to find me. And I'm not making sense. I'm like, I don't have an address. Like, you're not even going to know where I live, but you have to come. You have to come. So I don't even know what I, I lost that phone to this day. I don't even know what I did with the phone. I ran back inside. I just remember um, when everybody got there and stuff. And then I remember when they all came, they didn't let us go back upstairs. And I remember, I just remember like when the people came down, when I could see their face and they were like, ma'am, I was like, shut up. Don't tell me what you're going to tell me because if you are, get out. But I knew it, David, but I didn't want to hear it because if it, if they told me it, then it becomes real. Then I have to deal with it. But if I didn't hear it, then they're going to wake them up. That's all I cared about. So they called my pastor and everybody came and they sat me down. They're like, we have to take them. And I'm like, uh-uh. I was like, you can't. So that they, they bring them down on and they had them in that stupid black zipper thing. And he's on a bed in the living room and, they're telling all of us to say our goodbyes. And I'm like, and I know I don't make sense, but I'm like, you can't zip them up because he's not going to be able to breathe. And they're looking at me like, we'll zip them up outside. But here how, here's how it all kicks in. All the stuff he told me for that last month, don't let him see me in a body bag. Don't let him see me in a coffin. It's weird how, like, I was like, I had a purpose. So I was like, okay you know what so I remember getting everybody don't let nobody see him and they we had helicopters we had we had we had like tv vans out there we had so many people there was hundreds of people that had heard about it. it was already all over we all I mean all the team like Hoover over him they never got a clear shot they load him his funeral service you had to have a special van in, in order to have an open casket to see him so I still protected him and I just went into protection mode like I didn't deal with him dying I dealt with okay okay he said he wanted this okay I, I gotta call this person I gotta get the pit I gotta do this I gotta do so I you know I planned everything the way he wanted it and even down to the last detail of him going like lowered into the ground he wanted his music on so I had his um he had these beats that's some beats had just come out and he had the beats on and he had his iPod and we lowered him, you know, with the Spanish music. So we did, I did everything he wanted. And it's weird how you think you're not listening, but you are. But it was just, anyhow, it took three months for them to get the autopsy. They sent his stuff all over the world. They kept, because it wasn't drugs. It wasn't. So if you look at his autopsy and I'll send it to you for your own read, because it's going to come out anyways in, the, in this book, I mean, in his movie. But um, it says maybe, probably, could have. They don't know the cause of death. Basically, his heart stopped. No rhyme, no reason. It was just his time. Yeah, but he said it. He said, he told everyone, you all think I'm going to go out with a shootout or having this or go out with drugs. He's all, you know what's going to happen? He said, my heart's going to stop because I'm tired and I'm going to fall asleep and it's going to be peaceful. And we were like, whatever, Johnny. And he was like, whatever, don't believe me. He would always say that. I'm telling you, I know myself. And that's exactly what happened, David. His heart stopped. You know, yeah, I remember the news when he died, man. I was bawling like a little kid. Yeah. And, uh, 
I was just happy I, I uh, got to know the guy. But um, yeah, it is a tearjerker. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. He, he made an impact on everyone's life, man. Anyone who ever met that guy, um, uh, he made an impact, and he has an incredible story. Um, so are you in the process now making a movie about his life? Is that going to happen? I am. So I'm working with, you can look him up. He's a very sought-after director and writer. His name is Ben Bray Hernandez. And interestingly enough is his brother was in the U.S. Olympics with Johnny, the Junior Olympics. So this has been a passion of his for years. And he's been trying to get a hold of us since Johnny was alive. And he recently, a few months ago, came out to Albuquerque and he found me. And I just met with him the other day and, and he's, he, and so it's just what you said. Just like what you said, the story is so much. He said, you have 110 pages to tell a story. He said, I am having a hard time. He said, I'm 65% in. He says, I have the beginning, the middle, all that. He's all, this is the hard part. Where do you go from here? And he said, I have to do the best job I can to capture the essence of who Johnny is and who Johnny was and what you all meant. He said, but at the same time, he said, I only have 110 pages to do it. So he said, I really think this needs to be a series after we get the feature film. He said, because you guys, there's not even enough seasons. How many? So think about how many shows and episodes starting from his youth to the first time in boxing to this, you know, all the stuff that's happened. And he's on, it continues on because now there's the legacy. He's getting inducted to Hall of Fame. He has books, movies, obviously. Kids are growing up. Kids are fighting. So he's like, how do you tell it all? I, I don't have an answer for that. All I could do is give you this interview right now. And this was my, my token of appreciation because uh, I've wanted, I've always wanted to uh, help out the most I can. And, and uh, he really was a, uh, a major figure in my life. Watching him fight uh, inspired me to go on and, and uh, become a, a heavyweight champion boxer, win, win a few belts myself not world belts, but, um, I, I made a, I made a little splash and, uh, and I suffered from a lot of this stuff. Johnny did anxiety, depression, uh, addiction to alcohol, which I just quit. And, um, so I really, this is my thank you to you, Teresa, for being friends of mine. And, um, I wanted to highlight Johnny Tapia. Um, good news is you're still in boxing. You got a promotional company there with with uh, Robert, and Robert is the matchmaker. You guys got fights coming up at End of the Mountain Gods. The Great legacy of Johnny stuff. keeps living. The jo- uh, Johnny Tapia legacy is still alive and well, folks. It's at End of the Mountain Gods, and it's going to be November 20th. 20th, November 20th at End of the Mountain Gods in Riodoso, New Mexico. Uh, we uh, It's going to be a star-studded uh, fight card, and you got – Marco Antonio Barrera versus Ponce de Leon. Robert, you want to go into the card since you haven't had a chance to speak? <laughs> oh, man, what a, what a great card we're going to have for you guys. I mean, uh, two uh, world legends, man. Uh, Marco Antonio Barrera versus uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon, two former world champions. Uh, one of Danny, uh, one of uh, Johnny's former opponents was uh, Marco Antonio Barrera. And that was a war. 
that was one of the fights of the year. And what did Johnny say right after that fight? Hey, let's do it again. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's give me, give me another black guy. And let's do it again. You know what I mean? It, you know, that was the type of person Johnny was. He was just, uh, you know, at the end of a fight, he was just, you know, that fun loving guy that you loved, you know, and, 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 and then uh, uh, we've got a couple of good uh, PBC fighters uh, coming on the, on the card and uh, just to, to, you know, go the bottom half of the card. And one of Johnny's uh, fighters, will be fighting on that card as well with uh, Josh Torres. And he's going to fight an exciting guy. You might know who he is. Uh, he's going to fight uh, Kendo Castaneda out of uh, uh, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, he was a uh, tough form- guy. The kid's tough. Yeah, the kid's tough. tough. Yeah, formerly, uh, he was uh, uh, promoted by uh, Roy Jones. So, uh, I mean, uh, Josh got a... So these are, these are real... These are, are going to be some action-packed fights. Right, right. And and you know me, David. I'm a... I'm a, I'm a uh, I'm a hardcore matchmaker, man. I, you're going to go into a fight. You're going you're gonna to fight a fight if you go. <laughs> you're going to fight your ass off. You could die. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you don't fight, you're going you're gonna to fight. You know, I'm one of the I'm one of the the, the most uh, aggressive matchmakers I, out yeah, there. Yeah, you know what? I you know when uh, when I was fighting in Texas and, and when you were part of the commission. Yeah. Man, I used to love seeing you, man. But I always knew, man, if, if Robert's involved in the fights, <laughs> it's just going to be tough. You know, if yeah. Robert gets to pick anybody, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, I, I think I think uh, the fans deserve it. The fans yeah. deserve good You're fights. Right. You know what I mean? And they pay good money to go see good fights. So I mean, I'm not going to give the fans what, what you know what what you know. I'm going to give the fans what they came to uh, what they paid to come to see. Um, and you're one of the best in the those yeah, Abel, Abel Mendoza's Mendoza fighting as well. Abel yeah. Mendoza, his record is what now? What's Abel yeah. Mendoza's record? Yeah. Uh, he's 30 and 0 now, and he's fighting a guy that's got 127 fights. Jesus. So, so, so yeah, he's stepping it up a little. And this is we, a guy. We got some stepping. wars coming. We got some good. Oh, yeah, wars. we got some wars coming. So it's, it's going to be great, man. You go. And gonna, folks, I'll be there if you're in Rito. So I'll oh, be there. Oh, we, we have David Rodriguez commentating. For the fight. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to learn Spanish, and he, uh, he'll, he'll be able to translate. Right. <laughs> This is great, and uh, and uh, so that's November twentieth, Into the Mountain Gods, right. Rio Oso, New Mexico, at the casino, at the yes. casino. And Teresa, where can people find you to get tickets and uh, your books? Make sure you show your books. Okay, so the tickets are going to be on sale only through the Into the Mountain Gods website. Okay, but I wanted to also tell you, so Johnny has uh, his seventh Hall of Fame boxing induction coming up. In Hollywood, it's the West Coast Hall of Fame, October 17th, 7th one. He made wow. Canada, the WBC. I mean, so like we talk about the legend, he keeps going. And here he is, not even here. You got to lift that up a little higher, Teresa. People right are there. still recognizing, you know, his yeah. accomplishments. And um, The legend lives. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Vida Loca and the ghost of Johnny Tapia. Man. Yes. I thank you guys for coming on. I'm going to put, I'm going to air this tonight on YouTube, on fluff tube. Um, I'm trying to mix it up a little bit and I want to dive into boxing a little more. I'm, I'm coming back, Robert. I'm coming All back right, in, a different, you, <laughs> in a different way, you know, but I think this could be more impactful because I want to start highlighting fighters. Um, you know, as we get closer to the fight, I'd like to get your main event on here uh, and start uh, and, and get some exposure for boxers because yeah. Hey, you gotta learn Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I gotta learn. No, <laughs> but uh, I love you guys, man. You're like family. I love you, Dave. And and thank you. And guys, we'll just keep highlighting fighters and and promoting your shows. So, what's the name of your promotions, Teresa? 
It's just Tapia Promotions. Tapia Promotions. And they it's can not go just to the Tapia internet. Promotions. It's Tapia Promotions. <laughs> Top, okay, Tapia Promotions. <laughs> he puts it out there like it's jazz. <laughs> and, and, but wait, they could go to, uh, they could go to, to the oh. End of the Mountain Gods for tickets, right? Right. And the name of the card is La Ultima Bataya, The Last Stand. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Guys, thank you. God bless you, you. And I'll keep in touch with you guys. And I'll be there November 20th. Okay, Peace. we'll be expecting. Peace. Thank you. If you're worried about the future, you're not the only one. Right now, there's an overwhelming surge of Americans who are stocking up on emergency food. Should you be one of them? Ask yourself. Do you currently have enough food on hand to get you and your family through a prolonged crisis that lasts months? If not, you should strongly consider getting a three-months emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one preparedness company, and they've served millions of American families. Right now, save 100 off their best-selling three-month emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks. This kit gives you over 2,000 calories a day, and the food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. But if you act now, you may not you may you might not secure these kits. Head over to preparewithdnr.com and claim your 3-month emergency food kit as this special price. You'll save $100 per kit, but you must act today while supplies last. That's preparewithdnr.com.